Cape Talk. Plan B with Rebecca Davis. Who is in Johannesburg, but in a 702 studio, so we should be able to hear her loud and clear. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, John. Yeah, soft and clear, or moderately modulated and clear. (laughs) That's the way I like it. (laughs) Given the conversation with Peter Bruce that I just had, and a very similar conversation with Oscar van Heerden about his piece on your web, not your website, but the website for which you work, dailymaverick.co.za, yesterday, inevitably, uh, huge resistance to the the idea that they put forward of a tactical vote for Cyril Ramaphosa to strengthen his faction within the ANC, to allow him to get on with reforming the state, post the elections and there are different reasons why people say that is a crazy idea but one which is very consistently offered by probably 50 percent of the people who communicate with me about this is that he's just being used to win the election and as soon as the election is done national general council called bye bye Cyril hello Didi President Didi Mabuza and and I'm sort of ignoramously saying well it's not as easy as that is it? No, it's not. And I must say that's also an argument for the opposite, but I'll get into that now. So this week alone, we've seen COPE and the EFF saying publicly that they have had it supposedly on good authority, that there is a faction within the ANC which plans to recall President Cyril Ramaphosa shortly after the elections and um, thereafter also dissolve the Zondo Commission looking into allegations of state capture. Now, it's difficult to know how much credence to give COPE and the EFF in this regard. We know that Julius Maleva constantly claims to have kind of files of the inner workings of the ANC, but in the past he has shown that he's often accurate, actually, when it comes to these kind of things. But as you've rightly said, John, the idea that Ramaphosa can be recalled at the drop of a hat is not accurate. So we know that the ANC's next electoral conference is scheduled for... 2022, right? Because the last one was Nazrek, 2017. Ramaphosa hasn't even been inaugurated yet. He, the inauguration is set for, I think, the, one of the last weeks of April, assuming he wins, the NC wins the election. And for, in order for Ramaphosa to be recalled, what would need to happen, as I understand it, is that the NC would have to call a special conference. For that to happen, the NEC would have to reach a consensus on the matter because the NEC doesn't work on majoritarianism. It works on this old-fashioned notion of reaching consensus. Or a majority of South African provinces, ANC branches, could call for that conference in order to to hold an election to replace Cyril Ramaphosa. So that would mean that five provinces or a substantial majority of the NEC would have to be in favor of this. So let's look at the likelihood of that, John. When it comes to the provinces... We can say that assuming that the faction that would be looking to topple Ramaphosa would be led by Ace Magashule in combination perhaps with the likes of the former president Jacob Zuma, perhaps the former Northwest Premier Supra Mahuma Pele, the people who basically were allegedly seen meeting at a Durban hotel last year in slightly suspicious circumstances. So of the of the nine provinces then, we can say it is plausible perhaps that the ANC in KwaZulu-Natal and the ANC in Magashule's heartland, which is Free State, would back such a move. I think we can, by the same token, say that the ANC in the Western Cape and Gauteng would be very unlikely to back such a move. 
When it comes to Mpumalanga, it's difficult to say. That is, after all, the stronghold of the Deputy President David Mabuza, whose position has always been very unclear. I know that there are people who believe that David Mabuza is the sinister power behind the throne waiting to ascend to the top job. But there are others who say that Mabuza throwing his lot in with the Ramaphosa faction at Nazareth is what effectively saved the country and that his reasons for doing so were more altruistic than is genuinely generally supposed. But let's say Mabuza went with the Magashula faction and brought Mpumalanga with him. That's three provinces. Um, Northwest, the former... Premier Supra was kicked out last year, but assuming he has lingering networks there, perhaps Northwest could be swung. Eastern Cape, difficult to say. There are claims of plotting by national officials to undermine the pro Ramaphosa provincial leadership, and then Northwest. Um, and who have I got left? Northwest and Northern Cape, also difficult to say. So what I'm saying is. It's far from clear-cut that a majority of provinces, for one thing, would support an attempt to oust Soro Ramaphosa. It's also difficult to say whether NEC would fall because, as was observed directly after Nazarek, the composition of the NEC appeared to be split almost directly down the middle between Ramaphosa camp and the camp who at that time were supposedly within the Nkosa Zanad Laminezuma faction. So in both cases, we have highly divided situations. So uh, in terms of a vote, totally unclear what the outcome would be. But also let's remember, John, that there would have to be some ostensible reason to oust Ramaphosa, right? And the story that is given is that potentially if Ramaphosa fails to lead the ANC to as decisive an election victory as is hoped, that could be used as the pretext for getting rid of him. So that's in a way, also amounts to a powerful argument to vote for Ramaphosa because it will, you know, bolster his election It's not victory. a powerful argument, Rebecca. It is an insane, deranged argument, according to many of our listeners. Well, the point is that some people are saying, why would you vote for Ramaphosa if you know that he's going to be replaced shortly after the elections? The counter-argument is you have to vote for Ramaphosa because otherwise he will be replaced after the elections, if you see what I mean. Um, so the, that, that argument, I think, swings both ways. But then in terms of what you were rightly saying, I think, on the phone to Bongkosi Madikizela, in terms of the way the ANC publicly at least seems to be swinging on Ace Magushule at the moment is... I mean, it's been ambivalent in terms of their public communications, but you're right when you say that they have seemingly left it to him to defend himself against the claims in Peter Louis Maybach's book, Gangster State, which is some indication, although may not extend beyond their communications processes. But also, if you look at the groups that have been very vocal in support of Magashule of late, it's basically the youth and students. So it's COSAS, the, the students' organizations, the ANC Youth League and the Free State. And we know perfectly well why these groups in particular are so fond of Magashule. It's because as Peter Louis writes in his book, Magashule made a concerted kind of um, play for the hearts and minds of students by effectively subsidizing many of them, finding them sponsors to pay university fees and so on in the Free State. And that way he became this kind of Father, Father Christmas figure, at least provincially, to Free State students. So totally understandable why they would be in support of him. But the support of the Youth League in the ANC does not translate to 
I mean, it's not a, a, a barometer for the wider NC sentiment. It's definitely not a barometer of the leadership sentiment. And so far, there have been very few public figures of import coming out of late in, in support of Ace Magazine. And we also know that there are still powerful figures within the ANC who have in the past been vocally anti, and I include Fikile Mbalula in this. Although not a minister anymore, he is the, he's on the NC's NEC and he is the head of the elections campaign. And he was the one, of course, who tweeted before Nasrek that if Ace Magashule becomes secretary general, it will destroy the ANC. So there are certainly people in powerful positions with the ANC who are also very anti-Magashule at present. Yeah, I mean, Sarai just said to me, this was not, was this not how they recalled Mbeki? I mean, as, as somebody what more politically astute than I wrote today, Mbeki's, one of Mbeki's problems was that he, he didn't bother to consult with the party, didn't play by the party rules and what Ramaphosa is doing. And if one follows your logic, my logic, Peter Bruce's logic, Oscar van Yedden's logic, which to other people is illogic, then Ramaphosa is being much smarter because he's doing everything within the ANC rules. And he is slowly but surely, in my view, winning. And that is, to my view, also why it would be very hard for the anti-Ramaphosa faction to find a credible, even if only on paper, a credible reason to oust him if a decisive election victory was was um, achieved. And we know in the past that there have been you know, totally unscrupulous measures used to get rid of people. For instance, the use of false intelligence reports. So we can't discount the possibility that... Uh, something like that could be at play potentially, but it certainly would be a lot harder than in the Mbeki situation for the NC to make a convincing argument to the world shortly after the elections for why Sir Ramaphosa had to be recalled. Okay, um, we're sort of running out of time, but I, I do want to very briefly, well, not so briefly, for a bit talk about the um, the Our Planet, the David Attenborough documentary series, and the the scene of of walruses falling off a cliff and plunging to their death in uh, the Bering Strait between Alaska and Russia, south of the Arctic Circle, and the documentary, which is being aired on Netflix, says this is because they are unable to cope with climate change that has caused the ice to melt. There's been a fair old to do about that. There's been a fair all to do. So I haven't actually seen the scene, but it seems to be traumatic beyond words. Certainly the most disturbing footage of walruses anyone can ever imagine. And that is that there's this herd of walruses. They're attempting to scale a cliff because climate change has caused their ice-covered habitat to reduce to such levels that it's now more and more difficult for them to find adequate space and solitude. They scale this cliff. And in the, the course of trying to reach higher grounds and then return, several of them, numbers in fact of them, fall off and, and die. It's caused controversy for a number of reasons. One is that, uh, the idea that this is climate change related has been critiqued and not just by cranks, but also by, uh, biologists who say that there was a well-recorded incident at the time of polar bears pushing walruses effectively to their deaths, which seems very mean of polar bears. Netflix has, has denied this. But what I'm interested in, John, is the trauma of people expressed who watched this, people saying, you know, oh, this is this shouldn't be allowed to be shown. It's trauma porn. This is animal cruelty. How can you be showing this on air? As if it's the same as, for instance, watching a gratuitous clip of, I don't know, a dog being beaten to the point where Netflix is now has now tweeted animal lovers these are the scenes to avoid with the timestamps of any footage within the Our Planet documentary which might be offensive to humans which just strikes me as absolute nuttiness John if you consider that humans are the reason if we are to believe the climate change story why many of these tragic events are happening and then the idea that 
humans are then too precious to even watch the results of it. I mean, I think we should all be forced to sit and watch that and then take a good, long, hard think about what we've done to drive these walruses to their unpleasant deaths at the foot of cliffs. Couldn't agree more. Rebecca Davis, thank you very, very much indeed.